Psalms 56, are you there? Amen. Okay, let's, let's be a little lively tonight, amen? It's wet outside and rainy, and, and uh, we didn't even know we are going to have lights in here because the lights weren't working earlier there, but uh, we're, we're doing okay, so we're thankful to have church tonight, amen? Psalm 56, we've got 13 verses. I'm going to read odd, you read even. I want to hear you loud, or we'll read it two or three times, okay? I'm going to read odd, you read even, all together. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up, he fighting daily oppresseth me. Congregation, mine enemies. <coughs> Listen to David. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Congregation, in God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Congregation, Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger, cast down the people, O God, congregation. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my spirit into thy bottom. Are they not in thy book? When I cry to thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me, our congregation. In God will I praise his word, and the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. I'll, I'll, then notice verse 13 for thou hast delivered my soul from death will not thou deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living father tonight thank you as we assemble here we come to have you speak to us and to fill up our hearts and our souls with the word of God we pray for things that you'll teach us and show us this evening they'll be to the glory of God help us this evening because I'm certainly (coughs) certain someone here someone watching by live stream, or somebody we know is affected by some of the things we'll see tonight from David's psalm here in Psalm 56. Please meet with us in a special way to the glory of God. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The superscription to this psalm says, to the chief musician, and it gives a name there's It's very long. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. I might not do it justice there. A mictum psalm of David when the Philistines took him in Gath. There's some who believe that this was written during a time that's mentioned in 1 Samuel when David was having some difficulty with with the Philistines. There's some who also believe that David may have written this psalm during the time of the Absalom revolt. Either way, when you parallel, there are similarities between both situations, and I think those parallels would serve as well to notice some things. Notice David mentions in verse 1, his enemies, he says, he talked about his enemies in verse 1 and 2, swallowing him up. I don't know about you, but just as a kid growing up, the thought of being swallowed alive is pretty gruesome. It's pretty horrific. What a horrible thought to be thinking about being swallowed alive. Every time I read that account of Jonah being swallowed by the whale, it just amazes my mind that the whale had a throat large enough and wide enough to swallow a man. There was an article in National Geographic on June 18, 2018, and reporter Sarah Gibbons met, had reported about a lady by the name of Wa Tiba. And this Indonesian woman, a 54-year-old woman who looked very youthful, had been go- went out to her vegetable garden one day and did not know that behind her stealthily there was a large 27-foot python that was in a tree that made its way down, somehow encircled this woman and uh, had uh, swallowed her up alive. Uh, her family was looking for her. They could not find her, but they saw tracks that indicated the python had been around there. 
They tracked this python down. They follow, followed it. They noticed that the, the, uh, the belly of the, of the python was extended very much, was bloated. And so they got several villagers there who was waiting. And, and you know, she, they, this woman had been swallowed alive. They wanted to make sure. They just wanted to confirm. And they, they cut the, the animal open. And certainly there was this woman's body. I don't mean to gross everybody out here. But they found the woman's body. And they're fully intact. And she had been dead because she had been, been crushed to death. And as far as the, the, the animal just getting its, its way around her. And uh, local news media, of course, that was all over the internet. And, and it was interesting because just a year before that, a 25-year-old man had the same incident happen to him. I mean, the idea and thought of being swallowed alive is a very vivid thought. And David describes his situation, his trial he's going through as being swallowed up alive. You might say that's our way of saying being very overwhelmed with our problem, being way over our head and, and feeling like we're just, there's no way in, there's no way out. And we're going to see some things about this. But notice here, the emphasis is not, tonight is not just about David's trial, being, his feeling that he's swallowed alive. I want you to notice verse 3. In verse 3, David makes a statement here, a very bold statement. He uses a word that's used a minimum three times, but the implication as he builds on this psalm is the idea of faith. I don't know about you, but faith is a very intricate doctrine. I feel like faith is something that we spend our lives trying to learn and wrap our hands around. I think faith is something that we have to go through extreme situations like what David went through, went through here in Psalm 56 for us to understand, appreciate the application of faith. And so tonight I want you to see how faith applies on the thought, what to do so you're never swallowed up alive, or what to do when you feel like you're swallowed up, and not to be swallowed up alive, and how do you, how do you feel like your problem doesn't have the best of you? Notice some things we see about faith and David. Notice first of all the adversaries of faith in verses 1 and 2. David's way over his head. David is feeling like he's crushed. David is feeling like there's a boulder on him. David's feeling like there's no way in and no way out. He feels like the enemy's got the victory over him. David starts off by saying, be merciful unto me, O God. Lord, if there's anything you could do for me, please have mercy on me. Lord, if there's anything I need, I need mercies during this situation. Hey, that's how we feel. We feel like we're way over our head, and we feel like the heavens have turned to brass, and we feel like God doesn't answer us. We look to the situation, and when it comes to our thought, we need God to be merciful. We need God to intervene and extend his tender mercies in, his, in our lives. Notice what he says, be merciful unto me, O God. For man would swallow me up. He, finding daily, oppresses me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me. O thou most high. Notice David describes the extreme of his situation. He talks about these enemies, this problem. Yet. Would you notice David is in this situation that, where he's a fugitive. David's a situation where he's a king without a throne. He's a father who's been rejected. Uh, David is a, is a leader who is feeling lost and overwhelmed. David is a believer way over his head in problems and many problems. So he describes these situations. Notice he says in verses 2 and 6, his enemies were many. Look at verse, verse 2. Mine enemies, that's plural, for they be many. And, and if, it's, if it happens to be Psalm 56 coincides with the Absalom, result, uh, Absalom re revolt, I can understand that. I mean, he had Absalom, his son against him. He had... Um, he had, uh, uh, you know, Ahithophel, his counselor, against him. And, of course, they had their own followings of trusted people. And, and then you had, later on, as he's out in the countryside, you have Shimei, who comes out of Bahurim, starts cursing David and throwing rocks at David. 
And David's just feeling very, very overwhelmed by that. And he says his enemies were many. If it's the Philistines, that definitely was many. He was way outnumbered. Notice he talks about this problem being a daily problem. Verse 2, he says, my, he says in verse 1, he fighting daily oppresses me. He talks about this, this, this enemy he describes in a singular sense as a man. But he says, he fighting daily oppresses me. He talks about being oppressed by the situation. I want you to underline that because there's a reason why he talks about being oppressed. He's feeling almost as if Satan is breathing on the back of his neck. Oppression is when you sense that, that you are severely, severely under the pressure and the problems and the assault of, uh, of the devil. And then he goes on in verse 2. He says, my enemies would daily swallow me up. He's talking about the fact that it was a daily battle. In verses 1 and 2, he feels like he's in a fight. and He wasn't a fight. He was in a spiritual battle. He says, he fighting daily oppresses me. He says, they be many that fight against me. He literally felt like he was in a battle. He was an engagement. He was in a contact sport, if you would. Uh, he talks about the fact that in verse 6, notice, he says, they gather themselves together. He says, you know, even my enemies against me, they've all, they've all kind of coalesced together, and they're in agreement one thing, they want to take me out. And that's something very interesting, that when you look at Satan and the world and the flesh, they can work together to oppress you and me and, and, and defeat us. And it's interesting how different factions outside of Heritage Baptist Church, they can be very divided about what they believe, but if they want to fight against the church, they come together and they agree on the fact they want to fight with the church. Notice something else. In verse 6, he talks about the fact they marked his steps. They had a careful eye on him. They were watching him. That's, that's just kind of a frightening thing. He says, they mark my steps when they wait for my soul. He could sense that he had to be very careful wherever he marched, wherever he traveled, wherever he tried to hide. They marked his steps. It might be that they had spies who were looking at him. I think they did. He said in verse 6, they were waiting for his soul. I mean, then you get to verse 13. And he says, for thou was delivered my soul from death. I mean, David may have been at a near-death experience there. He may have been in the situation. He felt like he was almost going to die. And I think he woke up in mornings and went to bed at night. I think he was sorely, sorely depressed and discouraged to the point where he felt like there was no hope for him. I mean, David is in a, lot of, is in a bad situation. That's how you and I feel when we are overwhelmed. Uh, David was in a daily contention for his spiritual and physical life. David had great fear. I don't know if you've ever had anxiety attacks. I think David had daily anxiety attacks as I read this here. I think he had panic attacks. I think he had daily, I think he had anxiety attacks. I think he fell into the depths of depression. I think when you read 1 Samuel 27 and verse 1, David says this, there's nothing better for me than that I should go and run from Saul and align myself with the Philistines. He was at this place where he's rationalizing and he was taking the lesser of two evils. And when we get that way, when our thoughts get that way, when we've allowed our thoughts to get to the place where we're on a survival instinct instead of a spiritual trust of God, when we're at the survival instinct, we start to kick in motion what we should do and how we should do it and how we should survive ourselves. And you find David here not going closer to God in verses 1 and 2, but David actually is going farther from God. Notice David here. As he's in this panic mode, he's talking about the fact that they're, they're wrestling with his words every day and their thoughts were against him in verse 5. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when, if you're, you're extra sensitive about what people think about you, and we have to be very careful about that, but if we're extra sensitive about what people think about us, if we think they don't like me or whatever there, if we let that continue to revolve around our head and we're, we're worried about how whether people approve of us or whatever it may be, we can get to this place where that just occupies our thoughts and it becomes very, very obsessive. Now notice all of these things as he talks about 
about his tears uh, in one verse. He talks about being oppressed in verse 1. He talks about daily fight in verses 1 and 2. He talks about feeling like he's swallowed up in verses 1 and 2. And then again, chapter 57, he talks about feeling like he's swallowed up by this problem. David is under a major spiritual stronghold. He has a stronghold that has got, got his arms around him. David has a stronghold that has gripped itself around him. David is in this stronghold. It's like that python that wrapped itself around that woman and suffocated her to kill her. He felt like he was in the situation where he's being suffocated by his problems. You see, he's praying for God's mercies. He had these panic attacks. He may have had sleepless nights. He may have had loss of appetite. And he was at this place, feel like he was swallowed up with nowhere to go. When you feel like you're swallowed up, you feel the same way. When the problem's bigger than you, when there's no answer that seems to come to your mind, when nobody knows really what to do, and all we can say is we'll pray for you. We feel like that's a cliche more than a meaning. We feel like we're in the situation that's way over our heads. In David's situation, when you think about all the battles and fights he had, he was at a very, in verses 1 and 2, he was at a very, very low point in his life. We see David's adversaries and his faith. You see, as David is realizing all this, God has something bigger in mind. God providentially is working in David's life. God is trying to make David a better man. You hear me say this all the time, but I'll say it again tonight. Many times we must learn how to pray as if we're in a trial. Otherwise, God sends us trials to teach us to pray. I was, I was over in Oklahoma City Yesterday and today, I flew in on Monday night. My flight was delayed. They had to rebook me and all kinds of kind of stuff. And I got very late on Monday. And thankful for Brother Pearson waiting for me to get me at the airport. But got in first thing on Tuesday. And Brother Gaddis, Pastor Gaddis, had scheduled for me to preach on Tuesday with uh, Pastor Joe Decker. And uh, and just a great spirit, just a great revival spirit. A room probably of about thousand, maybe twelve hundred people there. And probably of that, maybe six hundred, seven hundred preachers. And and uh, I got up to preach and just just felt a great liberty of the spirit. As so I came off the platform and we're, we're just having the invitation time, things like that. A, a big black preacher came to me that's a church planter with his wife. And he said, Pastor Fong, he said, I just want to meet you for a minute. He said, thank you for the message you preached. And tears coming down his eyes. He said, you don't know how badly I needed to hear what I heard today. He said, you know, and they're in their early 30s. He said, my wife was just diagnosed with MS. And I, and I had to pause for a minute to just get my mind around that. A woman in her early 30s, a young mother with, with three or four kids. And there are new church planters and trying to get the work done and just serving God. And she's homeschooling her children and oversees the music in the church and things like that. And she's battling with this MS and asked her a few questions and things. And she's on some pretty high power medication, typical what they give to someone that has MS. And my heart went out for them. But, you know, I, I kind of felt like what David, for them, I felt like what David feels right here in verses 1 and 2, that they felt like there's just this battle they've got to fight every day. You know, when you're fighting that battle, it doesn't go away. It just keeps recurring and recurring and recurring. And David, notice here, if you sum up everything going on, David is gripped with fear. Many times the greatest problem we have is the problem of fear. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of what's going to happen to our finances. We're afraid of what's going to happen to our family. We have all these fears and we start thinking the worst case scenario of things that may never happen, but we have all these fears that start cropping up in our mind. What if I have this? And what if this happens? And we wind up like David here as those fears get a hold of us. We go into this panic mode and wonder, what am I going to do? And who's going to take care of this? And who's going to do this? And who's going to do that? Listen, we see David in this situation. We don't see faith in David at this moment in time. We see a man, a king, the man who wrote Psalms 23, the man who wrote Psalms 37, the man who wrote a number of other psalms to help get our hearts in tune with God and we call them great devotions on we don't find David trusting God here we find David in great great fear has fear overcome you 
You feel like your adversaries have swallowed you up? You gravitate to this place like David where these fears have led to anxiety attacks and panic attacks and even, the, even if you with the darkness of depression, discouragement of depression, sleeplessness, unable to sleep, can't let your mind go, your mind is wrapped around, that's a strong, whenever your mind is wrapped around something, it's a stronghold. And at this place where you feel like God is a God with a little G and he's not the God with a big G. We see David, his faith facing his adversary. But notice secondly, if you would, tonight, verse 3. We see the adversaries of faith. Would you notice the attitude of faith? Between verses 2 and 3, something remarkable happens to David. Great change happens in David's life. Here's a man who's afraid. Here's a man who feels oppressed. Here's a man who describes the situation being swallowed up. Here's a man who says, my enemies fight with me daily. He feels like he's outnumbered. He feels like he's got his back against the wall. And then he gives us verse 3. What time I'm afraid I will trust the Lord. Amen? What time I'm afraid I will trust the Lord. Do you see that? Everybody's got fears. God wants to get a hold of you and me. He's going to touch a button in our life to bring fear, to allow fear to come in to test to see how big God is, how big is our faith. Hey, listen, when you lead somebody to Christ and you're going good 30 days straight in devotion and church is doing good and we get on this euphoria of this anniversary that our church is in, I mean, things are going really good. You haven't had a bad health day in, in maybe 10 years and then something comes up and fear comes over you. And we don't know as we get to verse 3 how many days and how many weeks and even how many months had gone by in David's life. But we know one thing. David came to one conclusion. I better change my attitude. Amen. And he makes a statement which doctrine speaks to us. The Spirit speaks to you and me. He says, when I am afraid, what time I'm afraid. And I think he said that at night. I think he repeated that in the early morning hours because anybody going through these kind of things, they don't sleep well at night. And when they get up in the morning, they're paralyzed by the fear and they don't want to get up in the morning. They'd rather just pull the covers over their head. They'd rather stay there. They don't want to face the reality of what's out there. He said, what time I'm afraid, I will trust the Lord. Notice verse 10. God, will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise His word. In God have I put my trust. Brother and sister in Christ, it sounds so basic, but if you're not there where David's at in verses 1 and 2, you don't even understand that. Faith is our upper hand against fear and our problems. We have faith, we have safety from God. We have faith. We get our sanity back from God. Our mind is straight. Fear puts a lot of bad thoughts in our mind. You dwell on your fear. The Bible says the fear of man bringeth the snare. It's a trap. You see, tonight as we look at David... All this revolves around his thinking. David came to a major conclusion. He's just going through this process. And by the way, you and I have to go through that process too. Because when it hits you, you're just like, what's going on? 
And three times as progressively we work our way to the end of the chapter, three times David is at this place where he realizes, I've got to put my trust in the Lord. He said, well, pastor, that's so basic. Yes, so basic, but do we trust the Lord? Do we trust our God for our basic needs? Do we trust God for our little things? Do we trust God to get things done for us? Do we, is our attitude of faith resolving that, that God is bigger than the problem, and regardless of how it turns out, God is still going to get the victory, amen? Attitude of faith is resolving God knows what to do, and he's in absolute control of the situation. Imagine what Elizabeth Elliot was thinking when her husband Jim, they didn't even have a ministry started. They were the Aka Indians. They made those survey trips thinking those people would be friendly to them. The next thing you know that Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, the pilot of the plane, and several other men, they were all killed by the Aka Indians. Can you imagine the fear in that young widow's mind? Newlyweds. Your 20s wondering, what am I going to do? And this wasn't back in the days like what we do now. You raise support and it wasn't like that. Local churches, I don't believe at that time, are at the place where they're at today, where they, they come, they just rally the congregation around that. Imagine the fear that went through those widows' minds and hearts. What time I'm afraid, I will trust the Lord. And we read about David, he has these significant moments in his life, like 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, his men turned against him. They'd come back from the battle of Ziph, and they defeated some Amalekites, and the Bible says even though his men turned against him, it says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David encouraged himself in the Lord. So how did he encourage himself in the Lord? I think he learned how to trust God. He got his eyes off the problem, got his eyes on God. The attitude of faith. Hey, the first step we must make in faith is realizing what time I'm afraid. I may not know all the words to say. I may not know what to do, but I know one thing. I need to make my advance towards God and walk to God and say, God, I'm just going to trust you. I think, Lord, I'm going to take this situation and I'm going to put it at the altar and lay it down before God at the altar and say, God, I trust you with this problem. I trust you for my outcome. I trust you for the grace I'm going to need to get me through it. But we see David, the attitude of faith. Then notice in verses 4, 10, 11, notice something else here. Notice we see the advantage of faith. David said, in God will I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. What a transition. You get to verses 3 and 4. Compare those with verses 1 and 2. I mean, that's a 180 degree shift, is it not? In God, I will put my trust. He says, I, I will, have, will not fear what flesh can do unto me. I mean, verse 1 and 2, he's talking about being oppressed. He's talking about being swallowed up. He's talking about people fighting with him. And in verses 1 and 2, he's thinking, man, this is, this is going nowhere. And now we get to verse 4. He says, in God, I put my trust. I, I'm going to trust God through all this. He says in verse 4, I'm going to, in God, I'm going to put my trust. And he says, I will not fear what flesh can do me. I'm not going to worry about man. He just got off his eyes off the man. He got his eyes off the foe. He got his eyes on the Lord. He realized God was in control. Hey, what, what, write this down. Faith is our upper hand against fear and all of our problems. Faith is the upper hand that God gives us against fear and all of our problems. You see, the advantage of faith is when we can trust God we can trust God. He can help us to keep our minds stayed on him. Look at Isaiah 26.3. We had Dr. Getch preach on this uh, a few weeks ago. And he did a great job on this. But notice what it says. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed There's the secret. Where's your mind? Your mind stayed on God. It means fixed on God. 
It means you're not going to let go of your, your thoughts or just fixated on the Lord. Whose mind is stayed on because he trusted in thee. When we have faith, we regain our sleep from God. Hey, I, I know of a lot of people, a lot of people. Their fears are real and their anxiety attacks are real. And their discouragements are real. And their emotional upheaval is real. And a lot of them have sleep disorders. Their minds are racing, bags are in their eyes. They're wary in their soul, their judgment, their ability to make good judgment calls is not very good. But God tells us something. Notice in Psalms chapter 3, and if you're going through this, I hope you'll trust this. David, one of his Psalms, he says, Psalms 3 verse 1, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Sounds just like verses 1 and 2 in Psalms 56. The problems weren't getting less, the problems were increasing. Lord, how are they increased to trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Hey, you know what he's saying? When it rains, it pours. Amen. Many there be which say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. See, now, I don't know if they were really saying that or David was imagining that in his mind. But in his mind, he heard his enemies saying that uh, they, there's no help from him for, from God. But he said in verse 3, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of the holy hill, Selah. I loaned verse verse 5, I laid me down and slept. You read the first four verses, that doesn't sound like someone could get any sleep. They didn't live in the day like today. The doctors, you go to a doctor and they'd say, okay, we'll give you something, we'll give you something, we'll give you something to help you sleep. And what they really give you is antidepressant medication. It's got a lot of side effects with it. And they warn you, the label tells you all the bad things that could happen. But, you know, someone who's desperate for sleep, they'll pop one of those. And they've got to be very, very careful that whatever it is they're taking, that it doesn't become habitual with them. But David made this conclusion. His enemies were talking against him. His enemies were more than him. But he said in verse 3, God, you're my shield and you're my glory and you're the lifter of my head. In other words, he says, Lord, I'm, you're the one who helps me. My chin is down and my outlook has been bad. But Lord, you're the one that lifts up my head and gives me encouragement and helps me to look beyond tomorrow to see what God you're able to do. Hey, realize right now, God is working on the faith of David. God's trying to get him to be a great man of faith. And by the way, isn't that what God wants to do with you and me? Amen. Don't, don't, don't complain to God and tell God, why is this problem happening? Why are these saying, listen, you'll never learn faith. You'll never experience the wonderfulness of the grace of God work your life if you don't have problems like these. And David had his share of sleepless nights. And notice verse 5, I laid me down and slept. Then he said, I waked. Without a panic attack. He said, for the Lord sustained me. His sleep was sweet. His waking up was sweet. He said, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me. Round about, what a change. Psalms 127 says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow. For he giveth his beloved sleep. The best cure for sleeplessness is a heart that trusts God. Oh, you might have to spend some time wrestling with God, and you might have to spend some time in the presence of God. You may have to exhaust yourself just completely to sleep because you just basically poured your heart on God, but God can give you the sleep, amen? How many believe that tonight, amen? And if you don't believe it, you're not going to get the sleep. You'll continue to be restless and anxious and, and overwhelmed with these situations. We have faith. We get our serenity from God. 
Notice something else in verses 8 to 11. We see the, the adversaries of faith, and we see the attitude of faith, and we see the advantage of faith. But you notice the alleviation through faith. Look at verses 8 to 11. This is wonderful. The alleviation. Now, David is making a shift here. You'll notice as you read Psalm 56, he's progressively going on the right track towards God. He lost his way in verses 1 and 2, but verse 3 was a turning point. He said, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. But David didn't stop there. Because if we work progressing, verses 3 to the end of the chapter, we find David progressing going in the right direction. Hey, did you know there's a direction God wants us to take in faith? Amen? The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is not going in an endless circle. Faith is not going in a direction that doesn't go anywhere. Faith has an intended goal that we get closer to Jesus Christ. Amen? And notice verse 8, we find David is comforted. Notice as he's talking about these things in verse 6, he, he's just being very transparent. He says in verse 6, you know, they mark my steps, they wait for my soul. He says, I can feel it there. And then in verse 7, he makes an interesting statement. He says, shall they escape by iniquity? He says, Lord, are they going to get away with what they're doing? Are they going to get away with their sin? Are you going to let me get away with this, God? God, aren't you going to do something about this? I mean, that's how we pray. He says, Lord, are you going to let them get away with it? And he prays an imprecatory prayer in verse 7. He says, in thine anger, cast down the people, O God. That's not how God was going to work in David's life. Our flesh wants to pray down thunderbolts and fire. and We want to, do, we want to pray an Elijah prayer like he did in First King, 2 Kings 2, right? 2 Kings 1. The band of captains came. He said, if thou be the man of God, come down. He said, if I be the man of God, let fire come down and consume your own. Boom. It was more than once. By the time the third band of soldiers came, they said, hey, please don't pray for fire. I believe it. I believe that you can pray that fire down. But David's comforted. We get to verse 8. He's talking all that. And notice he says, thou tellest my wanderings. Lord, you know where I'm at. Lord, you know I've been going in circles. Lord, you know I've been floundering. Hey, you know, can I tell you something tonight? It's okay to tell God if you know you're not sure where you're supposed to be going. It's okay to tell God you know that you've messed up. It's okay to tell God that you know that, that you've, been, you've made a wrong decision and you're down the wrong path. He says, I'll tell us my one. He came to the realization that God knew exactly where he was at. God pinpointed him exactly what was going on. God knew what was going on, but David had to come to the realization. God knew all about that. Then he says something interesting that's unique to Hebrews, not unique to us. He says, put my tears in a bottle, Lord. He talks about this bottle, which was about this big, a little flask, a Hebrew flask. He talks about a book. Look at verse, verse 8. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Not David's bottle, God's bottle. Are they not in thy book? Back to the old ancient Hebrews. Their great sorrow and their tears, unending, unceasing tears. They believed it was important to get these little flasks and, and place those flasks so it could catch their tears. 
And whenever they could catch inside those little flasks and bottles, they would be a reminder of that problem, a reminder of that sorrow, a reminder of that trial, a reminder of what happened. There was kind of a marking point in their lives, a defining moment. And David was saying here to God in verse 8, God, I'm comforted right now, but Lord, I just want you to know that doesn't mean I'm not crying. He was still crying while he's trusting God. I don't want you thinking that he got all happy, took his sandals off, was walking barefoot, happy about this. He, he was trusting God, but there was still that fear. And he was at this place, as we get to verse 8, he said, Lord, put thou my tears in thy bottle. He says, Lord, I know you got a bottle somewhere. He said, somewhere in heaven, Lord, I want you to take that bottle. I want you to remember, Lord, what you do. Would you remember these tears? Would you remember my heartache? Would you remember my sorrow? Hey, by the way, God does know all your sorrows and all your tears. He's the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Put them in your book, Lord. Put them in your book. And I'm not sure, I can't put my finger on this, but I'm not sure as we look at David, if David is referring here and prophetically telling us what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3, later on 2 Corinthians 5, when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things done in our body, whether it be good or evil. I think it's just more than just, just for works we do. I think God sends us trials and difficulties in how we perform. Are we building on wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stone? By the way, it's kind of interesting if you think about gold and silver. It's got to go through a refining process, and trials are God's refining process. Amen? David's comforted. God knew how far down the pit David was. By the way, wherever you're at, God knows how far down the pit you are, too. And then notice something else, verse 9. David saw prayer as his weapon against his enemies. Look, look at verse 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. Now, if you, if you rush through that part, you missed a, a blessing about prayer. He was saying here, he got a hold of God. He got a hold of God. He knew what we, what we call praying through. He knew before he got off his knees, the prayer had already been answered. That's praying in the Holy Ghost. That's the kind of prayer I talked about with Jabez two weeks ago on Sunday morning. Jabez prayed a desperate prayer. Desperate praying, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. David knew that prayer was his weapon here. Hey, listen, David did like Jonah did. He prayed his way out of the belly of his enemies. Listen, you can get to the place where you feel like you're swallowed up and it's all done for. And listen, the only thing you could do is you got to pray yourself out of that situation. And then, God, then David says something else. Notice verse 9. When I cry unto you, then shall my enemies turn back. He says, now, Lord, I know when I call on you, you're going you're to do whatever has to be done. We talked about this Sunday night about the, the Israelites. I mean, God, God was so good. He took that pillar of cloud and put it between them and the Egyptians. And it didn't matter. They were a hairbreadth away. It didn't matter, right? It did not matter because God, God was the one who was shielding them. And then David says something that, again, it's, it's almost, it's almost he's, he's giving us a, a, a foreshadowing of Romans 8, 31 and 32. He says, this I know. Now, that doesn't sound like a man that's scared, amen? This I know. Hey, now he's building up on his trust. He's building up on his faith. He's learned about the attitude of faith. He's learned about the advantage of faith. Now he's seen the alleviation of faith. And he says, for this I know, God is for me. How do you believe God is for you tonight, amen? amen? This I know. You know what he's saying there? I know I've got my sins confessed. I know my heart's right with God. I know my tithing's up to date. I know my sacrifice is in the right place. I know I'm right with people. I haven't cursed my enemies. I haven't done people wrong. I don't have a sin of unforgiveness, sins of bitterness in my heart. I don't have some skeleton in my closet. I just know this. God is for me. He can say that confidently because God was for him. 
God before us, who can be against us? And Paul said, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He says, listen, God is so for me. If God didn't withhold his son and gave his son to die for me, God's not going to withhold the, wind, the blessings from heaven to help me in my spiritual life. David's saying, God's for me. God's for me. Then notice verse 10, David found strength from the promises of God. Prayer and the word of God always go together. Amen? In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise the word. What did he read from? Probably a previous psalm. He went back to one of the inspired writings that God gave him. He read it. He got his heart encouraged. Maybe it was Psalms chapter 30. Maybe it was Psalms 120 when he said, I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. Maybe it was Psalms 37. He says, commit thy works to the Lord. Trust also in him and it shall come to pass. Whatever it may be. David went back to scripture and he found his help in God. David found strength from the promises of God. Notice verse 10 again. God, I will praise his word. You know what he's saying there? I read God's word. I got a hold of the word of God. And you know what I learned? I can praise God's word because God said he's going to take care of it. And God did take care of it. Amen. The greatest proof for the validity and the veracity of the Word of God is the Word of God working in your life and my life. You can claim the promises. You know they're true. And then notice David's, notice what you notice. This is good now. Notice, notice verse um, 11. Notice David said in verse 3, what time I afraid I will trust the Lord. And then notice David was now at a place. He had, he, he had progressed to the place where David's faith overcame all his fears. Would you notice what he says in verse 11? In God have I put my trust, but watch the remainder of it. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Now, what are you saying there? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's he saying there? What's he saying there? In verse 3, he said, what time am I afraid? I will trust the Lord. You know what he's saying in verse, verse 11? He's saying there, I will trust the Lord and not be afraid. There's a big difference. Amen? Look at Isaiah 12, too. A lady came to Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody one day. She said, Mr. Moody, I found a verse that's so comforting, so encouraging. He said, dear lady, tell me that verse. And she took him over to Psalm 56, verse 3. She said, hey, Mr. Moody, it says here, what time am I afraid? I'll trust the Lord. And Mr. Moody says, well, that's a wonderful verse. Can I show you something that God's word says that will even strengthen you even more? She said, what's that? And he took her to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. If you're there, he says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. If Mr. Moody had kept on reading, would have read here in verse 11 that God, David had, made a, David had made a transition point. He had matured this place where he wasn't. Every time I'm afraid, I'll trust God. He says, you know what? I'm at the place now in verse 11. I will trust and not be afraid. This is a big difference. Big difference. It's one thing to say, when my problems come, my fears come, the panic attacks occur, and all these things happen, what time I'm afraid, I'll trust God. But to get to verse 11 and say, when I, I'll trust God and not be afraid, man, you have made great progression in your Christian life. All of a sudden, all the material things he thought he was going to lose, it didn't matter to him. And he may have thought in between all this, he got to verse 11, what a fool I was, those sleepless nights, and what a fool I was worrying about this and worrying about that and complaining about this problem and complaining to somebody else and telling Job what's going on. Because Joab knew all about David. And probably one of the reasons why Job was kind of jaded against David because he knew all about David. And Joab was not a spiritual man to begin with. 
David finds alleviation. Then notice verse 10 and verse 12. David's praising the Lord and giving thanks for his problems. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. He was saying what James says in James 1, 2. Count it all. Count it all. Count it all. When you do what? And do what? Diverse temptations. Read verses 1 and 2. He had diverse temptations. And God, I will praise his word. And God, I will, and the Lord, I will praise his word. Then he said, notice he says in verse 12, thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. He's praising God. It's taken me a long time to do this. Sometimes whatever I prayed for, God does something different to accomplish his purpose or Whatever maybe that happens, I have to go alone by myself, wherever it can be. And I'll say, Lord, <clears throat> not how I planned it, not what I thought it would be, but I thank you for it. I got on the plane, yes, on Monday, had my flight ready to go. I was going to fly from here, and my connection was in Vegas, from Vegas there to Oklahoma City. And and I noticed that the flight was delayed, and, and, I, and there wasn't a lot of connection time. And so I went to customer service. I got there about probably, uh, I don't know, about, I had about probably a good hour and 15, 20 minutes. I got there early. And there was hardly anybody there at Oakland Airport. That so I went to the, uh, the customer service, and they said, they said, oh, we were just about to call you. We had to rebook your flight. I said, you had to rebook my flight? What's going on? They said, you, you, legally, we can't put you on that flight that you're on. They said, you won't have enough time to connect. It's going to be late. You're going to miss your flights. So we rebooked you. I said, where are you rebooking me to? They said, we're going to rebook you through Houston, and from Houston, in Oklahoma City, and they said, uh, and, they, and they started telling me that. They said, well, we'll tell you this, but you're going to get it two hours later if everything goes to plan. I said, I said okay. I said, well, I, you know, I, had to, I, was, I was on A-list you know, to, uh, to, to board. I said, they said, well, we're sorry, Mr. Fong. We had to refund that back to you. You're going to be on C-list. Well, I have to be C-46, and if you know anything about C-46 and you've got carry-on luggage, you're, you're, just, you're just thankful you just get on the plane. You know what I'm saying? Because your luggage ain't going to get on the plane. And I said, okay. And then I, and I, I got lined up there at C line, C, in the C, third, what is it, 31 to 60, whatever it is. I'm C42. And I'm third to last. And I had carry on luggage. I want to get on, get off, because I want to get back to church on time Wednesday. I don't, you know, if you ever go to Oakland Airport to wait for the luggage to come, it's like forever, man. The rapture is going to come by the time your luggage comes out, amen? <clears throat> and I was only going for two nights, and I got a really, really re, 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 reversal suit bag I bring, so it's fine. And, but I didn't panic. I just, I just pulled aside. I said, okay. So I found a seat, found a row there at the airport. I sat down. I said, okay, Lord, this is what you're going to have. And I'm glad I'm not preaching tonight. I'm not going to get all stressed about this or whatever. And I'll just see this as an opportunity to pray more. But, Lord, I just I prayed and asked you, Lord, there'd be no mechanical failure in the plane. And I prayed that, I prayed that God, there'd be no passenger interferences. And I prayed, that the, I prayed the pilot would not go cuckoo and stuff like that. And, but I also prayed, Lord, that I'd get on the plane with my carry-on luggage. I'd be able to get luggage space. Would, would, is, Lord, is that still okay? And that's what I said. I said, God, is that okay? And I got on the plane, and there were five people ahead of me. And you remember, I'm C46, third from last. There were five people ahead of me. And I already prayed. I was just, I just whatever, you know. And I had my luggage with me. And I got, I got the third row, and I looked up. And there's just some little baggage there. And I thought, you know, there's, there was part of me that said, why don't you just push it aside put your bag up there? I said, ah, that's kind of, kind of rude. These people want to get off the plane. I said, I'm not going to do that. So I went up, and the five people ahead of me, the, the guy in the back says, all right, start checking luggage in. No more room. I said, you sure? He said, no more room. Okay. I made my way 
I was, I think, 11th or 12th row, and I got, I got to row three, and I looked again, and as soon as I looked at row three, the, I don't know why she did this. The attendant saw me looking before. She got up, looked at me, she cleared the room, and said, you put your bag up there. I got the last bag of space, amen? Now I got the last bag of space. I got the best, I got the next, uh, you know, remember there's like eight people there. I, I got an emergency row exit seat. I got an extra six inches. I said, praise God, this works out all really good, amen? That's a little thing. You say, it is a little thing. But you know what? I could have got all stressed out. I could, have, I could have just complained about the whole thing. I got in the flesh about that situation. My baggage would have got checked. Well, probably I got checked in. I probably wound up somewhere in the other part of the country. Amen, you know? I texted Brother Cobes. I said, Brother Cobes, I said, to just let you know, I'm not sure my bag will make it. He said, don't worry, brother. I'll give you my cowboy boots and my overalls, and you can preach in that. Amen, you know? <clears throat> I saw him on Tuesday morning. I said, I'll have you know I'm not wearing your overalls and I'm not wearing your cowboy boots, amen, you know? David has great comfort. I make this statement to you. When we get to verse 11, David's no longer feeling like he's eaten up alive. David gave him, God gave him confidence. Faith accompanied with much time in prayer gives us confidence against whatever the foe or problem is. God gave him calmness. God gave him control over his anxiety. We see the adversaries in faith. We see the attitude of faith. We see the advantage of faith. We see the alleviation of faith. As we close tonight, would you notice one more thing? This is good. There's one more thing I want you to see. Would you notice the anticipation in faith? Would you watch this tonight? Here's David. He starts off verses 1 and 2. He is overwhelmed. He is at panic attacks. He's at anxiety attacks. He's at sleepless nights. He has no rest. He's all upset. He's just all bent out of shape. He prays imprecatory prayers against his enemies. He just feels like he's overwhelmed and outnumbered. And then David makes a turning point. He realized he can't change the situation and fretting doesn't help him about this. So he says in verse 3, what time I'm afraid I will trust the Lord. He's trusting God and he's starting to see incrementally God is working his life. He says in God I will praise his word and I Take from that that, as I said earlier, he probably read his Bible that morning and he pulled open an Old Testament scroll, read something, maybe read something out of, about Abraham that morning. He may, maybe read something about, about in Deuteronomy that encouraged his heart. He read something about Joshua there. Oh, who knows, whatever it was. Maybe something that God had inspired him to write previously that he read. It doesn't really matter. It's just the fact we know he had God's word. And because he had God's word, he read it. He's trusting God and he's growing through his trust. Now we get to verse 11, that's verse 10. 11 and 12, excuse me, uh, 11 and 12. And he says, I will not be afraid what man could do unto me, so I will trust and not be afraid. And, and he's praising God for a situation. Then we get to verse 13. In verse 13, we see something wonderful about David here because we see the anticipation of faith. God wasn't done working with him. God gave him a bigger picture view. God helped him to see the eternal view of the problem, the eternal view of the trial. That's what God wants to do. Don't get short-sighted looking what's happy right now. You've got to get an eternal view of what God's trying to accomplish there, amen? And so he gets to verse 13. He says, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. It's concluded. God was not, he wasn't going to die. Hey, don't have these morbid thoughts you're going to die. When, when you're gone, you're gone. But until you're gone, you're still alive. Amen? Enjoy the journey. Take one day at a time. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. He says, God, I know I'm not going to die. In the summer between verses 1 and 13, God told him, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. And then he makes a statement, wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling? That I may walk before God and light the living. He wasn't doubting God. I mean, he's grown. Remember verse 11, he's, he's at this point, he is so 
confident of the Lord. He says, I will trust in the Lord and not be afraid. And he's asking, verse 13, he says, it's kind of a, a question, rhetorical question thing with God he's doing. He says, he says, if you've delivered me from death, it's almost in, with a smile on his face, he's saying, will, will you not also deliver my feet from falling? He says, what, what that, he says Lord, are you going to see me through this? Aren't you going to see me through this, Lord? Aren't you going to help me so that I can, he, and he describes it this way as he ends verse 13 with a question that I may walk before God in the light of living. He said, Lord, Lord, I, I didn't realize one thing about this. I got more mileage. I got more mileage to go. I got more faith to walk. I've got more, I've got more, I've got a life to live. I've got more things to happen. You know, David came to the conclusion, something that we've got to come to the conclusion. You see, the enemy will, it may swallow you up, but the enemy is not going to be the final say in your disposition. The enemy will swallow you up. I see the enemy swallowing me up and swallowing you up with its problems, with its inconvenience. But I want to tell you something. When you get an eternal view and a, and a future view, it's not the enemy that swallows you up. It's God that swallows up the enemy. You see, because when we get here, I see the enemy swallowing up David in verses 1 and 2. But I see David moving along. He says, wealth thou not, help me, O God, so I walk with God in the land of the living. And I think David is getting a, giving us a foreshadowing of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where God says, death shall be swallowed up in victory. Amen? It's not the enemy that swallows me up. God is going to swallow the enemy. He says, mortality shall be swallowed up by life. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And David's anticipating. It only gets better from here. It only gets better from here. The end we overcome. David got a breakthrough on his fears and problems. Instead of David being the one swallowed up, it was the problem being swallowed up in victory. Listen again to 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. And we saying there, I've gone from mortal to immortal. I, I'm dead, but I'm, I'm alive. Amen? A Christian dies, they're not dead, they're alive. Get in your mind, you're not dead, you're alive. When you close your eyes for the last time in this life, you open your eyes afresh and new in heaven. Things are new, things are different. And he said in verse 54, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, when this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, and this is from Isaiah chapter 25, death shall be swallowed in victory. David was saying, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will not thou deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God in life? Listen, if God could take care of me, then I'm not going to die through this. If God, God, God said I'm not going to die, that must mean that God said he's going to keep my feet from falling. That means me. God's going to take care of this. There's something good that's going to come out. Listen, if you're not going to die from it, just realize this. God, if you're not, God's not going to kill you through the trial. Here's what God's going to do. God's got something bigger in store. You just got to enjoy the journey. Keep going on for God because he, he swallowed up the problem already. Amen. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So you close tonight, the final enemy swallowed up in victory. You don't have to be eaten alive by the problem. We have church members going through some valleys. 
horrific trials. Our problems can make us feel like we're being eaten alive. But David concluded, Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will thou not deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Repeatedly in Psalm 56, he says, In God, I will put my trust. He transitions from verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust the Lord. That's very fickle. To where he says, I will trust and not be afraid. It's a big difference. Don't be eaten alive. Don't be swallowed up by whatever it is. You say, well, I'm not going through it now. No, but you will. We all will. It's not a matter if, it's a matter when. Let's look to David's example in Psalm 56. It's a psalm of victory reminding us what time I'm afraid, trust the Lord. But grow through that process of saying I will trust and not be afraid. Are you swallowed up? Do you feel like you're being eaten? Do you feel like, David, you're overwhelmed? You're feeling oppressed? You're not sleeping? Panic attacks? Here it is. Here it is. Just what the doctor ordered. Here it is. Father, tonight I ask that you would take just the thought about faith and our fears. Help us to latch hold of you tonight. Lord, you got something good in everything. There's always good in everything. Joseph said it so theologically right. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so tonight I ask that you'd undertake every heart, every soul, every problem, every difficulty. Help us to grow like David. To have an attitude of faith. What time I'm afraid, I will trust the Lord. To see the advantage of faith. In God, I will trust his word. And see the alleviation of faith. He said, Lord, thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears in thy bottle. Thou put them in thy book. Are they not in thy book? Father, forgive us for little faith. We're kind of like the disciples when they were on that storm. They had no faith in the power of Christ. And I think sometimes, Lord, we let the power of the storm overshadow the power of God. Forgive us for little faith tonight. Strengthen our faith. Give us more faith. Thank you, you're the God who is for us. The God who is for us tonight. And I pray this evening that you'd have your own tender, loving way in every heart. Prepare us, Lord, as we go into the 20th anniversary. We're looking forward, Lord, to, Lord, just celebrating what you've done, but also, Lord, to really strengthen our hearts, getting our roots in deep, taking charge of the things of God, serving God for his glory. Please use the invitation to draw us nearer to you that our faith would be stronger, we'd have that attitude of faith. Lord, we'd have the advantage of faith. Lord, we'd have the anticipation of faith. Please have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Pianist is going to play. Let's stand. If you need to come tonight, just spend some time with God, pray about some things. Would you do that tonight? God sends things to rock our faith, to move it a little bit. How about it tonight?
God help us for little faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think the greatest thing we could do this year is decide we're going to please God. We'll please Him in service. We'll please Him in our spirit. We'll please Him through trials. Let's please the Lord. Father, while many are praying, I bring to you tonight the many, many trials that are found on our prayer page. People in this room are on this prayer page. Mothers battling with ongoing illnesses. Men dealing with diagnosis. They're not sure where it's going to go. Our missionary who's got a son that's got retina problems. Family up in Canada, three sisters. One's already passed away. Two have cancer, declining in health. A number of our church members dealing with uncertainties about tomorrow. And certainly, Lord, we know there's fear. Some facing some cyclical and maybe some unexpected setbacks in their work, their finances. God, we need Psalms 56 tonight. Where there's the spirit of oppression and spiritual stronghold, Father, break it, we pray. I pray for every thought to be brought captive to the obedience of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us have that mindset, I will trust the Lord and not be afraid. Thank you, tonight, death is swallowed in victory. There's a point coming where the enemy will be swallowed up. Thank you for that tonight. Help everyone to get home safely. It's wet, it's dangerous, it's slippery outside. Help us to get home safely tonight to the glory and praise of God. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name.